Welcome back Eric, one to more. Doorpol. Oh, no. <laughs> you did not just interrupt my intro. We tried to bring a guest on, and he talks over my intro. Wow. Uh, no, do you I'm think sorry. I'll have any problem uh, exporting the voice memo? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> uh, all right. I give up. Paul, do you want an intro? No, I'm just kidding. No, I don't. <laughs> Welcome back to Tin Can Alley, the Backyard Baseball 2001 podcast that you didn't know you needed in your life, but you totally do. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, as ever, Jordan. Hi, I'm Jordan. Wow. Congratulations, Jordan. You finally did an intro to a podcast. Nailed it. And we're also joined by player manager, Paul McMichael today. Paul, how, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Um, really excited to have an extra person on the podcast today. Um, we will do a little interview section later all about Paul's successes and few failures. But before we do that, how are you guys doing with the coronavirus lockdown as it continues into the, what is this? Fourth week, third week, fourth week. I don't remember. Yeah, I I would say my position holds, um, my interest in backyard baseball is extra important because major league baseball's really still not doing much of anything at the moment. Um, so right now just the only difference is it's been a little warmer at my house. So I'm scoping out my wiffle ball field and doing some, uh, yeah, doing some play testing there, sending out some trash talking texts, but, but doing pretty well overall. I, uh, would like to inform the league that, I have gotten deep into Madden 11. Uh, Of course, backyard baseball is a great distraction, but Madden 11 has been a wonderful crutch for our uh, lack of sports right now and offering them contracts and drafting, very similar to backyard baseball format. So it's been a lot of fun. So Madden 11, is there something in particular – that's like special about that roster year that you're holding on. No, it was Madden 11. It, it was, <laughs> it was the only version of the game that my brother-in-law had at my mother-in-law's house. Mm. So I Whatever took his PS2. Yeah. It's been great. What's the one that's like the classic. Is it 2005? I want to say the one with Michael Vick on the front. Uh, yeah. The one everyone goes back to Zed 05. Feel like I think 05. Michael Vick is on the uh, is on 05 if that's the one you're thinking I of. I think Michael so. Vick on the Falcons. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, cool. Everybody loves a good game of football. Um let's take it around the league. Talk about last week of play. Last week was week 4 in the backyard baseball league. Some uh some real surprises coming out if you ask me. First of all, since we have both the player managers here, let's talk Angels Athletics. Athletics coming out 29-22. I mean, last we left this podcast, I, th- I thought the Angels were supposed to win that one. What happened? Um, I mean, supposed to? That's a pretty... Well, I mean, at least that's a, that's a phrase that denotes a lot of confidence in me. Appreciate that. Um, no, I had absolutely high hopes that I was going to put up, put up a good number for that game and uh, feel like as an organization we took a big step forward. But uh, we came up short. I can say that uh, there were a couple of mistakes that hurt a little bit 
on my side, but uh, overall, it was just a matter of, um, yeah, in my mind, if if my power ups would have gone just like a little differently, then it would have been a different ball game. I was kind of, I was kind of upset. There was one time I got a triple play, and I'd forgotten that if you get a triple play, it doesn't mean anything more than if you get a double play. Mm-hmm. So I got one screaming line drive out of that triple play and did nothing for me. It's a cruel, so. cruel game sometimes. Yeah. It was a great back and forth battle. Uh, we were playing simultaneously, which is always a lot of fun. So, you know, I, I think throughout the game, um, there were times where I felt like, okay, I was pulling ahead. But then there was definitely a moment in time where Jordan had a four or five run lead, I think, through four innings. So it was really close. And I mean, that definitely gets the adrenaline going more than if you're playing by yourself and just trying to put up as big of a number as you can. I mean, 29 is no small feat, right? That's that if 52 hadn't been scored, that would be the league record. Is that wrong or seems like a, it wouldn't be the league record, but it'd certainly be the highest this this year. This season. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's up there. Well, uh, congrats. Also, Monsters uh, beat the Marlins 18-4. This is the first double-digit Monster score this season, and it's an 18. So props to them, man. It kind of came out of nowhere this past weekend and really put a smack in on the Marlins. I don't know if you can say out of nowhere since they sent out a trash-talking text to the entire league. That's uh, true. Foreshadowing their score. Mm, so, that's true. I mean, other than that, other than that, maybe surprised himself, but then, of course, spoiled that surprise to the rest of the league. But in any case, I mean, I do want to make sure I I draw attention to the fact that I have scored. I'm tied for this. Well, I'll let I'll let Paul cover that because I know he covers it in his week five roundup. But I'm winless against other player managers. I scored 22 this week, and I don't have a win. I'm just, I was just going to let that sit. Yeah. Just get better. It's a tough draw. (laughs) Man. Melonheads beat the fishes 11, nine barn burner there. Um, not much to say about that one. (laughs) The, uh, the Astros, they gave up their, uh, their claim to an undefeated, season when the Pirates beat them 11 to 2. Yeah. Their their cumulative run differential projections had that game going uh Pirates over Astros 12 to 3. So they both really played right about at their their level and uh, the results were as I predicted as expected. Uh way to go to the Pirates Astros they still got a a good season, good record they're working with, but it's a good game. Yeah, props to them. And uh, good job to the Royals by not going negative two, you a negative one. <laughs> That's right. The, and uh, it's the, the small Orioles victories got their got their first win, and then uh, it's also worth noting that the Bombers kind of laid an egg, at least you know by their own standards. Yeah, uh, what, what's happened to the, the Bombers this week? Bombers player manager. I don't know. I don't know. He's he said he couldn't get anything going at the plate. Nothing he could do about it. So there you go. You get the you get the score of five. I should have looked back into like old 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 league scores because I don't think he scored anything less than a nine all of last season. I don't know if you have to go back to like twenty 
2018 or 2017 to find the last time Derek Barnhart scored five runs in a game. So he's the Bombers this season, seven, 10, nine, and five are their scores. So yeah. really kind of underwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts, uh, Paul, on any other things you're seeing in the league? Yeah, I think uh, the trend here is that guys are figuring out their rosters. And I think we're going to continue to see this spike in scores all around. Um, Guys are figuring it out. And when you get to know your players and you figure out how you want to arrange your lineup and how you want to arrange your defense, it can definitely yield higher results. Just a quick, just a quick around the horn, just because I'm curious, who who plays catcher for you guys? Cordova, Vicky Kawaguchi. Oh, I have uh, Vladimir Guerrero behind the plate, but coming. Does she have an arm? She has she a right for you? She has a good enough arm. Yeah, she can get She's to just a bunt. Covering anything, yeah, she can kick to, to a bunt, bunt, and she can throw it down to second on a bunt for a uh, double play if she has to. All right. She's not a uh, she's not a catch a Pete Wheeler stealing kind of arm, but she gets the job done. I'm not actually sure if that arm exists, but I know Cordova can can throw a seed, so I'm not surprised he's playing catcher there. Usually our next week preview comes per Paul McMichael. He does a little write up for us. Jordan reads that, but today we have the real thing. So Paul McMichael, give us our week five preview. The week five preview begins with a look back at week four. Uh, Week four is the highest average scoring record with half of our teams scoring in the double digits. So again, I'm looking for that to be a trend that continues into week five with a lot of teams scoring high. Five teams are now tied for first in the National League with two teams trailing by just one game. The game of the week in the National League features the Bombers at the Fishes, with both teams looking for a bounce-back win after tough losses last week. The playoff chase is compact in the American League. The Angels look to get their first PM win of the season, despite being tied for second in the league in total run differential. Holler. Yeah, it's 47, by the way. 47 runs through four weeks. Is pretty decent, but it's not enough to get you a win in this league. So there you go. I mean, that's just terrible luck in the schedule too, Jordan. I mean, so far you lost a tiebreaker game at nine, a a tiebreaker game at 10. Week three, the Pirates scored 12 against you. Week four, the Athletics scored 29 against you. So, I mean, just some terrible luck if you rearrange some of those scores you've got two wins that's true and just for perspective if you were in the national league you would be tied for the highest run differential with the pirates at 47 right now their player manager records three and one with their backyard baseball record of four and oh and they're sitting pretty in first place so you know thanks guys american league it's a tough place to be uh it's probably the more competitive league of the two not dissing any national leaguers but you know it's just fact so <laughs> this is the American League podcast, by the way. So I, I guess not it's sure. not fair to say that just because the race in the National League is so close. It's so, so tight. And their scores are good. But I mean, but, they've crushed yeah. us in interleague play. So I don't know That's how true. we can say that uh, the American League is more competitive. 
Yeah, I don't know about competitive, but maybe top heavy at the moment. Topsy turvy. Like you said, we've, we're we're seeing improvement across the league, so I'm excited to see how that kind of grows and morphs as the as the year goes on. Yeah, very exciting. Since we have Paul here, I figured we'd ask him some questions because that's what you do with people. Oh, I've got questions. You ask them questions to learn more about them, and then they reveal their deepest, darkest secrets and how to win a championship. So that's our plan today is to all become winners because Paul McMichael, the winner of winners, is here on the podcast. Paul McMichael, technically, I think it's two-time world champion, but we could call it three since the first season was kind of a half championship, if you will. Thanks for giving me credit for that. Yeah, I mean, you were on. Paul, you were on. Was the clear favorite to take season one, even though the record was. I don't remember if it was even with the bombers, but as far as again cumulative run differential, that again goes to uh, Paul in the athletics. But you also have to remember we were playing under some pretty wacky league rules that year. Oh yeah, mm. but given the league rules. I definitely think that I would have won if we had played that thing out. Yeah, no, I agree. And there was no championship, you know, there was no, there was no winner take all moment. So it was, you could kind of extrapolate the stats and make that assumption. So anyway, Paul, take us back to the beginning for you and your love of backyard baseball. And where did that all start and where did that come from? And how has it led you to being the backyard baseball championship? Uh, winner and title holder today. My grandma bought me a Christmas gift, 1998. And it was Backyard Baseball, the original with the 30 Backyard Kids. And loved the game. I mean, at that point, I was six years old. And so we were looking when Backyard Baseball 2001 and Backyard Baseball 2003 hit the shelves. And I played all the time. Um, In my household, there was an electronics allowance. And I would often use my electronics allowance to play on the computer. Um, I remember early on playing in season mode and just picking all of the best players. I think I was playing on medium. I was eight years old. And I remember my dad telling me that he had been playing backyard baseball and he had won the world series on hard. Oh yes. (laughs) Now is that a thing that a dad just says to his kid to like seem cool or was that fact? No, that was pure fact. He was playing on the computer as much as I was. Amazing. He was using his entire electronics allowance to win the backyard baseball world series on hard. So just like, yeah, wow. that plants two seeds in my head. The first seed being, I'm not just competing against the game. I'm competing against my dad. <laughs> we could do a whole, the original, we could do a whole class the on original that. player manager rivalry. Wow. And of course that's totally different than what it is now. But I knew if my dad could beat the game in hard, that I should be able to beat the game in hard, which of course was an accomplishment at eight. Now you pick your best roster in season mode. And of course we can crush it, but 
Um, it just put in my own mind that not only was I competing for my own World Series in season mode, but I was also competing against my dad. And the second seed that that planted in my mind was even as an eight, nine-year-old kid, I thought to myself, wait, my dad's an adult playing a child's game with kids. And it didn't make any sense to me then. And now we've come full circle to where I'm the adult still playing that child's game. <laughs> We're all the adults still playing that child's well, game. Well, that's the thing <laughs> is now I feel like we need to invite your dad to the league. You know? There was talk of it in 2018. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. When, when it was like the entire American League was in the McMichaels, it's like, why not round it off? Yeah. And get Dennis here. So, on anyway. a side note, do you think there are any children out there still playing backyard baseball, or have they all aged over eighteen now? So, I was a school teacher, and in scouting season, I may have shown them what backyard baseball was, and a few of the kids recognized it. So, I think okay. there is some hope, but uh, the real hope with older siblings and yeah. Yeah, the real hope for the next generation, I think, will be our children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is gonna. This is our Mario that we have to pass along. Yeah. Wow. This is it. Wow. Paul, you briefly mentioned during scouting and preseason. I'm curious, what is your scouting or practice routine in the off season, and what do you do to get prepped for the draft and just for playing in the year in general? Since you've been so successful. Well, this year, the first thing that I did uh, before scouting any of the players was I tried to move around my drafting position and my free agency dollars. Um, I think that $100 in a straight-up drafting position is a disadvantage because then you end up averaging $33, $34 per player. So I wanted to get out of that spot. And after a few trades did, and then after those few trades, I kind of knew where my free agency and drafting positions were going to be. So I figured I'm not going to be able to get any of the players that are going to go for 34 plus. So I'm not going to scout Pablo Sanchez. I'm not going to scout Barry Bonds. I'm not going to scout Pete Wheeler. I'm not going to scout Derek Jeter because I'm just not going to be able to pay for those guys. But I did scout some of your mid-level free agents that I may be able to back into. And I also scouted players that were going to be between 35 and 45 because I had multiple draft picks in position 19, 20, 22, 24, something like that. So I kind of knew the players that would be available in the positions where I wanted them. And then I just played three or four practice games and drafted those players just to get a feel for their arm, get a feel for their speed and uh, see what kind of pop they had at the plate. I feel like this is uh, that we're not worthy of this, uh, this insight, you know, so I feel even fear and trepidation asking follow-up questions. Um, 
just quickly, how did you feel about how the draft then played out in the American League? The story of American League draft night was the Angels. You know, I think that was the takeaway that everyone had, the way that the Angels controlled the board and continually brought up players for free agency. Um, I mean, Seth Dixon was sitting back going, oh, my gosh, this is so annoying, you know, and and Jordan did a great job of controlling the free agency portion of draft night. Um, for me on draft night, it was a matter of sitting back and seeing what players would fall at prices where I would be happy paying for them. So, you know, I, like I said, expected Pete Wheeler to be out of my price range, but then everybody got so frugal that I backed into Pete Wheeler, I think for 31, everyone got so frugal that I backed into Sammy Sosa Everyone got so frugal, I backed into A-Rod, you know. Um, and I also had talked to a few of the player managers before the draft started about trading a few bucks here and there. And after, um, you know, paying a little bit more than I was expecting on those three players that I mentioned, I knew that I would need a little bit more cash. So I traded down with someone, I forget who to get seven more dollars and that put me in a position to get Ahmed and the custom player. So takeaway from draft night was generally I was happy with my team. I knew that I had a good roster, but the real takeaway from draft night was, Oh my goodness. The angels totally dominated that controlled free agency and have an absolutely stacked roster that at the time I felt was better than mine. I think we'll we'll probably, man. It's always it's fun to look at at draft night. I'll try to leave it there so that we don't go too far outside of the scope of our uh, our episode. But I will ask number one player on your on your draft board. Who are you really planning to come away with uh, on draft night? Favorite player in? Well, I guess these are two separate questions. Favorite player in the game for one, but then the number one player you were looking for uh, to bring home on your, your roster on draft night. Uh, favorite player of the game. I'll have to go nostalgic and say Kenny Lofton um, because I grew up in Cleveland area as an Indians fan. Omar Vizquel was my favorite player, but Kenny Lofton was really close. So as a kid, I always loved getting Kenny. I have not gotten him for any of our four seasons just because, again, he usually is paid more than I want to pay my free agents. Uh, Did you also draft Jim Tomey in 2003? I didn't play 2003 as much, so I don't really recall. That's what everybody says. (laughs) I know, right? That's the the correct answer to that question. Yeah. I I didn't really play it. That's funny. I didn't really play it that much. I mean, Ichiro, but... I couldn't tell you if Jim Tomey was even good in that game. Uh, I think he was eight in batting, and that's all I remember. Anyway, I could be wrong. I'm taking a I'm taking a guess that like the number one player you were really banking on getting for that draft was was custom player. I mean, normally I would have said Louis and Louis, but you didn't bring home Louis and Louis in that draft. True. And so, am I right there, or you want to correct me? 
No, that's true. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that pre-draft I was angling for a lot of players. Of course, I have a draft board set, but like I've said multiple times now, I kind of know that the top few players in the draft I'm not going to be able to get because they were out of my price range. Um, I definitely was hoping to land custom player because I know the custom player's capabilities well. I know that the custom player is, um, you know, has been really successful for me the last two seasons. Uh, I, I also this season was really hoping to get Ahmed um, in some of my preseason games with him. I really liked the way that he was hitting the ball. He was absolutely crushing it. So I thought there might not be a lot of power out there as good as his. So I was going to try to pay for it. And I did. And then subsequently traded him away. (laughs) Who'd you get for that trade? I forget. I traded uh, the Ahmed and Amir pair for Luan and Ronnie Dobbs. I think that there's... There's a lot that you could dissect there because um, maybe to people listening, that doesn't sound like the right trade because they know sure. how Ackman and Amir go. Well, but we've the, also looked at the makeup of the the athletics team in the the past victory seasons, and it's more on brand for you. Yeah, right there. So yeah, I mean, the way that I was looking at it was that Ackman um, and Amir, both good power hitters, neither have particularly great defensive skills or great arms. And I knew that the Bombers kind of backed into Luan in the National League draft. And I've had Luan every single season, um, beginning in 17. She's your Omar. She is. She's she's great. But Luan is not a top-end talent. I mean, she is a one-trick pony, but she is fantastic at getting on base. Um, So whenever I had the chance to acquire Luann, put her at the top of the lineup, and also acquire Ronnie, who I knew had great power, it was like, all right, so I'm trading two power bats to get a very familiar player in Luann. Ronnie Dobbs I've never had before, but when he comes up in the lineup, he's going to hit line driver power, and that's what he's going to do for me. And, you know, I felt like my position was, um, my roster was improved by that trade because now I have three players with 10 speed at the top of my lineup back to back to back. And that is definitely a recipe for my success. Well, I was, you partly answered this question I was going to ask later, but I figured we could, we could tackle it real fast. Do you ever try to hit dingers? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Just but, we've, we've talked briefly about grounder ball in our own private text messages. Uh-huh. There's a lot of ground ball. So I want to know who on your lineup is, uh, you know, swinging with power. And is it every time or is it just in particular situations? No, no, it's not every time. It's certain players in certain situations. Um, I mean, on my team right now, Ronnie Dobbs, Marty Cordova, Sammy Sosa, custom player, Uh, I know that they can all hit with power, but it also depends on the situation. No outs, nobody on, they're not hitting power. They're hitting it with an open stance, either line drive or ground or try to get on base. 
But if there's runners on first and second and two outs, runners on first and second, one out even, and the situation calls for it, then yeah, you know, I'll, I'll hit power with them. But, um, but that's rare. I also will say that I like hitting with power. Uh, if I've got a number where I feel like I'm comfortable winning the matchup, I will, uh, be more likely to swing for the face it swing for the fences and, and hit that fun home run. It's like, it's <laughs> like, uh, um, I don't know. It's like a concession. It's like, you know, I don't know. I've, it's like an indulgence. That's what it is. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it is. It's like, like the, dessert the power at the swing end is of like, the meal. <laughs> I've already won. Let me just hit a grand slam. Ronnie Dobb was hitting hitting on line drive when he hit that grand slam a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I mean, speaking of Ronnie Dobbs, we talked about this last week. When a lot of people hear Ronnie Dobbs, they don't necessarily think power hitter, especially if they're not that familiar with the game. Um, but he's definitely an underrated player. I'm curious, Paul, who who's your take on one of the most underrated batters and one of the most overrated batters in the game? Think for overrated, I've got to go with Mark McGuire. I don't know that you guys touched on him last week. We didn't. No. Um, now, I don't know if he's an overrated hitter, but he's most certainly overrated in our drafting. Uh, every year, I just chuckle whenever that rookie gets suckered into drafting Mark McGuire with the fifth pick. And it's like, man, you don't know what you're getting into. I don't know if he can hit or not, but I uh, would hope to never have him on my team. The report from his, well, and I say his, I mean the Astros game against the Pirates was that on that particular occasion, he hit two off the scoreboard in Parks Department number two. So there was a little bit of frustration because what could have been uh, kind of a big payout for Mark McGuire. That game ended up being long singles. So I so mean, I, I remember from corrected. playing with Mark, Mark. Well, I mean, I know he can hit with power, but I, I agree to a certain extent. He is the other. I mean, he's the power hitting one trick pony. Um, you know, he doesn't have an arm. His fielding's fine. He can pitch if you need innings, but uh, he's a. He's looking for that one pitch, one spot to to punish it. And you can question whether or not that's worth a a, a draft pick in the fifth position. Yeah, but, so sure. overrated batter Mark McGuire. No, that's – I think it's valid. If they had Mo Vaughn, those balls would have gone over the scoreboard. I'd just like to say on the record. <laughs> Mo Vaughn, that's better fact. than Mark McGuire. That's on the record. So, What about underrated, go. Paul? Underrated batter? For underrated, I'm going to go with Jorge Garcia. Um, if Jorge finds an off-speed pitch up in the zone, he can really give it a ride. So I'll go with Jorge, but I've also got to repeat Derek's answer from last week and remind everyone of the capabilities and powers of the legend Jeremy Burnett's. At I'm so point, glad to have are, somebody back He's up. like some it, you're like touting him as the goat. It's like take Jeremy Burnett against Pablo Sanchez <laughs> in a home run derby 
and I will take Jeremy Burnett. Take please. your bets. Wow, that's funny. No, I I'm not joking. I had Pablo on my team last year, and he did jack squat for me. So Jeremy Burnett's every day, all day. Plus his arms better. So Jeremy, wow. uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I would want to get him in the right spot, but he is a pretty good hit, pretty good hitter. Hits for great contact. Uh, hits good line drives for me the last two seasons, though I don't have him this season. And does have a good arm, played first base for me, and didn't have any drop problems. So, great player. Underrated. Maybe not anymore. Maybe now he's overrated. (laughs) No. Your agent told me not to go here, but I'm going to go here. Did you try to trade for Jeter this year? (laughs) No, I did not try to trade for Jeter this year. I learned my lesson. Uh, I, I actually couldn't tell you who has Jeter this year because I didn't, I, I mean, I looked, but I didn't really try to swing a deal for him. And that's in large part because I have Alex Rodriguez on my team this year playing shortstop. Um, the year before uh, this in 2019, my infield was Jason Kendall at shortstop and Marty Cordova at third base. So I was trying to do whatever I could to swing a Derek Jeter deal and figured it out in the end. I think Jetergate has tested a few marriages in the group as well. So I'm glad that you're not pushing the issue. I'm glad you're not, you know, forcing those couples to really come to a decision over their relationship that they wouldn't That's have so to otherwise. So I appreciate, Paul, you not pushing for Jeter this year. Should we uh, explain that story or? <laughs> I feel like yes. Okay. okay Brief, if you bit. can do it in three sentences or four, maybe like a small third grade paragraph, okay. um, that'd be best. An unnamed player had Derek Jeter. I really wanted Derek Jeter. I texted unnamed player for weeks trying to figure out a deal for Derek Jeter. Unnamed player did not play the game for the first three weeks of the season. On the trade deadline day, he responds and says, okay, fine, I'll give you Jeter. I asked, who do you want? He said, I don't care. Give me anyone on your roster. I responded and said, okay, Cordova for Jeter, official offer. He said, sure. So we swing the deal. Unnamed player was dismissed from the league. We replaced him with my cousin, Ian, who took over his team, the Blue Jays. And in remediation for what the league viewed as a underhanded and sly deal, I consented to changing the deal to Jeter for any player on my roster that Ian wanted and that was that. To be fair, it was a little. Can you admit now it was a little underhanded and sly? I'm not sure if you're going to get that out of Paul. I'm not sure if he's going to, if he. It if was he, trying to, and then you said something. So. <laughs> I will, I will admit that I played fully within the rules that unnamed player gave that. Jeter deal to me while he was still the manager, general manager of the Blue Jays. Uh, 
And I could see how other teams in the league would be upset, but you got to be a hustler. You got to be on the horn. You got to be, you got to be on the phones. I was on the phones. Nobody else was. And my persistence got the deal done. I could see how other people would be frustrated by it, but I don't think that it was underhanded and it certainly wasn't cheating. And that was, that was where the, the league, that's where the league landed last year. And, uh, hence the, the not complete, um, you know, negation of that trade. It was modified to send Vladimir Guerrero instead of Derek Jeter to the athletics in that trade, uh, a, a type of, um, yeah. Well, Vlad uh, from the A's to the Blue Jays. Oh, that's right. No, yeah. you're, you're right. You you acquired Jeter, but instead of giving up Cordova, you gave up Vlad instead. Yeah. So now, now I remember. That's good. Now now that we have that out in the, the air for our, our mm-hmm. listeners, when, uh, when we refer to Jeter Gate, which uh, who knows? We may have to go back to Jeter Gate <laughs> later. We might. But that's yeah, all right. Now we've now we've at least heard from uh, Paul McMichael personally before airing that out uh, with Adam here. So yeah. Well, I mean, we're almost halfway through this season now, which is hard to believe. But we're coming up on week five, and regular season play is only going till week nine. So almost halfway through, Paul, what more is there to achieve for you now that you've continued to dominate every season? Like, where do you even set your goals from here going forward? I mean, right now the focus is on preparing for the postseason. Um, I've got a three-game lead in the American League. So, you know, I'm hoping to have the one seed locked up maybe even by week seven. Um, and then it's all about it's all about the postseason from there. And um, I'm sure we will discuss this as as it becomes uh, necessary information, but there is a possible change to playoff format that could make make this season a little bit different. Um, so, I mean, I would say maybe Paul has lost some focus. I mean, maybe that explains Madden 11, mm. but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't bet on it. I think uh, – I uh, that, uh, what I love so far about the playoff format is it doesn't count anybody out totally. Everybody's included. It's just some people's paths are harder than others, and um, you can you can find new life in the postseason. And I think then that that gives Paul at least some incentive to stay on his game. And I would say that I will uh, definitely be playing for undefeated because that has never happened before. Um, as long as I've got that perfect record going, I will definitely be motivated in these PM matchups to, uh, to do my best. And also for league equity, I've got to do my best in all of these games because it wouldn't be fair for the Angels to get my best shot and then the Wombats to get a three just because I want to get my game over with. I appreciate the sportsmanship in that as the Wombats. Or you could just give everybody a three. Come on. Like you could have given the Angels a three. I think people in the league might be okay with that. 
Yeah. No, that's okay. I think, I think, um, like Paul's mentioned, the league's catching on. Um, maybe slowly, but certainly surely as we see scores go up around the league. And so, yeah, I think, I think every matchup, um, has got more promise than it did week one. I think it's exciting. I think the release of the 52 game footage was a pivotal moment in the league where you open the eyes of a lot of players to some tactics that they could be employing that they weren't previously. And I think that's one of the reasons you've seen scores go up. Particularly, I'm going to say the Monsters. I mean, you can't yep. go from what they score, 1 to 18 overnight without something major happening. So, Yep. I will yep. give you credit for that, Paul. You have, you've raised the water level of the people in the league, of the skill level in the league, to the point where things are starting to get interesting and very competitive, and I appreciate that. That was the goal. Any other secrets you'd like to reveal in order to make everybody else better? I won't say no. I would just say that uh, using your power-ups wisely is so important to crushing your score against the CPU. Um, I rarely use a power-up in the leadoff position. You know, I make sure to get a few players on base before I use them. Um, I would also advise other player managers to maybe play some practice games where you strike out a bunch in the first and second inning just so that you can see a bunch of special pitches because I think that each of us have figured out what a freeze pitch looks like. Couldn't even describe it to you. But we know what that freeze pitch looks like and hitting a freeze pitch, getting to first base and adding that extra power up can be a four to five run advantage over the guys who swing and miss at that freeze pitch. So Mm. getting as many power-ups as you possibly can, stacking them up on one another, and putting up 10-plus run innings has been vital for the athletics this season. I'll second that. And a spitball and crazy ball are a gift from the baseball gods. So yes. don't be afraid to strike out on those. For, I mean, <laughs> and to get to those pitches. It's important. And if you don't know, like elevator pitch, you never know. Swing. Yeah. What's the harm? You swing and miss? So what? The the advantage to, you know, tapping that one and getting aboard is just is just very powerful. Quick fire question, both of you guys. On the pitching end, do you ever throw a special pitch or no? Do you just leave those on the board? I have in very rare occasion, throwing a special fit, special pitch. I think a fireball to end the game. That's usually as far as it goes. Agreed with that. I will use, uh, I will use them situationally. If there are two outs, I'll use them just so that I can add a strikeout in the case of a tiebreaker. Um, I'll also use them, but only certain pitches. You know, the fireball, the freeze ball, and the slow mo. But if you uh, put a spitball down the middle and the CPU gets on base, then you've got to power up against you, and you definitely don't want that. Yeah, I would say I have never thrown one in all the seasons I've played just because the risk is too great. I will 
swap in a different pitcher, just give him some extra juice. But I don't throw that power or that fastball or that fireball or anything like that. Cool. Well, I don't have any other prepared questions for you, Paul. Jordan, I don't know if you have any that are just weighing on your mind that you have to get off. No, I got them. Would like to make one announcement if I could. Please. Uh, the Athletics will be renaming their custom player uh, this week. Uh, coronavirus, while originally funny and spiteful because coronavirus was ruining our lives and our sports and was, uh, you know, kind of a joke at first to be able to say in the highlights that coronavirus was beginning to do some damage. Now that's not so funny anymore. So I'll be renaming the custom player to something that is uh, more sensitive, maybe a hero in the healthcare world, something like that. Not sure yet. I'm open to suggestions. I think, I think that's another, another class act move on par with not trading for Jeter this year. Yeah, maybe you just rename your player Derek Jeter and just call it, just call it. <laughs> I'd just be okay with that. name your player Jetergate and call it a day. Well, thank you, Paul, for joining us on our podcast. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate all you. Um, I think last time I checked, we had four listeners. So thanks, guys. That's incredible. Wow, that means a lot to me, uh, Mom, and I guess the three of us. So thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> Paul, Jordan, best of luck in your week five matchups. Thank you. Jordan, I wish you victory. And Paul, I, I wish you a very close defeat. So thank you. I just need one, you know, just one. When do you guys play? When do I, I haven't play? played my matchup yet this week? Uh, week seven. Yeah. You guys play week seven. Oh, when do oh, we play two each of other? Us. Yeah, week seven. Week seven. Oh man, that'll be good. Maybe we'll do a special. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll do a special stream or something on that. Oh my god, Twitch be a stream. Big game. We'll big Twitch game. stream that one and um, figure out how to do that. All right, that's all we got, um, guys. Thanks very much. Have a good week, and thank you for participating and listening to this week's episode of Tin Can Out. What? I just armed on three. It's oh, fine. my gosh. It's, no, just I'm go. Getting, just go. Okay, just go. Just go. Oh, roll out, whatever. Yeah, just roll. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Everybody uh, sing something together. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Okay, that's good this is, That's fine. That's always. Okay, that, that's your sync point. That's, a, that's my sync. It's, yeah. Okay. Happy wow. birthday. <laughs>